0: Well, good morning. My name is Caleb Lynch. If you're just walking in or if you're just tuning in online, we know we got a bunch of family at home and we miss you like crazy. Um, but we know this thing is starting to wrap up, hopefully, hopefully. And we will all get to be together soon. But um, we love you guys and um, excited for this morning. Hey, um, you know how they do those things where it's like, you know, you're a win. So I've got one that just happened in the middle of the night last night. You know, you're a preacher when you know you're a pastor when 3:30 a.m. I wake up like in almost like a cold sweat, and um, I'm waking up startled from a dream that I was having. And only a a preacher pastor would have this dream. So the dream goes like uh, this: is all absolutely true. This all happened. So I apologize for what you're about to hear, Um, but it's truth. So. I have a dream. We're on a family vacation in California, and I run into some old college buddies, and they have entered into a surf competition. Okay, so this is how the dream starts, and so they're competing in a surf competition. And next thing you know, uh, I'm watching the Apostle Paul has entered himself into the surf competition. The Apostle Paul himself is riding the waves, and um, and no joke, he doesn't do very well. He crashes into this like rock wall thing and he's unconscious and everyone is yelling at me. Somehow I'm, I'm now in trouble that the Apostle Paul has just crashed on his surfboard and they tell me that I need to do CPR on him. And I'm in my dream refusing to do mouth-to-mouth to Paul the Apostle because it just didn't feel, don't judge me, you wouldn't have done it either. <laughs> and, but I do give him some, some compressions and he comes back from his crash and then he says to me, he says these words, he says, hey, um, quite frankly, I'm okay that I didn't place well in the competition, I've realized I can be content in any situation. Those words come out of his mouth, and um, there you go, there's just some things you can't unsee, and I didn't go back to sleep after that, so that's what you guys get today, is me starting with that dream. You know you're a preacher, win. Yeah. <laughs> hmm um how many of you have been here the last couple of weeks and have gotten to hear some of these uh, uh talks on, on Hosea can we do just a quick like 3 minute version of what are you hearing what what did you hear from those first 2 weeks what did God stir in your heart what what uh what did you see in scripture what did you hear just maybe a couple people right where you're sitting just raise your hand say it out loud through your mask what would you learn what are you hearing what are you taking away from so far in this series God is jealous for us. Cool, maybe? Yeah. Gomer being on the auction block and Hosea buying her back with the coins, but also the barley. What else? What else do you take? What's that? We. we can be the gomer in the story huh yeah wasn't that cool wasn't that a cool thing yeah Raising cakes are not not a, yeah not making such a big deal about raisin cakes for sure for sure did anyone make raisin cakes after sunday okay Anything else that you're learning? Yes. Mm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, good work. You were listening to some parts, it sounds like. No, great work, great work. Um, so we're shifting gears now. If you've spent much time in the book of Hosea, the first three chapters, which were the first two weeks of our little mini-series, that pretty much is a story of Hosea and Gomer, or really a story of Hosea. And we talked about how oftentimes God uses these prophets to actually enter into the story, and almost like living parables in some ways of what God's trying to teach the people. But also... Most of the time, these prophets had a job to do of declaring truth, teaching about the future that is to come, uh, asking the people to return back to to God. Um, they, they had they had a job to do in that way as well. So these next two weeks um, are are we've kind of left the story of Hosea. You really won't see many references to it at all of Hosea and Gomer. You'll see a couple of things um, where where God describes. Uh, Israel, the people of God, as a harlot or things like that. But for the most part, we have kind of moved away from that story, and now Hosea is is flat out just preaching uh, to the people of God. And so, it's it's done in a poetic way. So at times it's confusing. Like what what is he what is he actually getting at? He's he's prophesying about events that will happen, some events that haven't happened. Um, so there's there's a bunch in there, and instead of trying to take us verse by verse, because we would be here a long time, we're going to try to cover a lot of chapters. We're going to go from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 11 today. And um, I'm going to take you through what I, what I found as kind of important um, takeaways from these poetic verses. Um, to better understand what Hosea is saying we, we I think we won't spend a lot of time here but I think it's important for us to understand what is going on what's the climate of the time for uh, the people that he's talking to it, it'll make more sense you'll hear some language it'll make a little bit more sense so at this time you've got you've got two kingdoms you've got Judah and you've got Israel and he's primarily speaking to Israel and Israel is has uh, had what would be called an economic revival right at this time. Uh, back when Solomon was king, they, they thrived and then they went through some really weird years and now they've got Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam II is a powerful man, he's built a big army, he's great with trade relations with other countries, he's a big deal. And so right now, right when Hosea starts, this is um, uh, kind of right when Hosea starts his prophetic work, you do have really a thriving country, a thriving people. This is their largest they will ever get. Uh, as far as numbers of humans, this is the wealthiest they will ever be. Um, as far as this, this specific kingdom of Israel in this separation time, this is um, probably in some ways the best they ever interacted with other countries, with other rulers. They're really thriving. Uh, they're also having a bit of a spiritual awakening during this time, uh, not a spiritual awakening back to God, but to many idols. There's a really sense of uh, spirituality, similar to if you just drove an hour and a half up to Sedona, very similar feel um, that is happening, but they're, but they're, they're excited, and they're, they've got ceremonies and different practices they're doing, so they're, they're really alive right now. They're feeling like they're on top of the world, and, um, and then some things start to shift for them. Right when Hosea comes up, Hosea, uh, during this time, says to the people, um, God's really upset with you and he's going to punish you. And they're like, for what? Like, we're killing it. Like, we're absolutely thriving. And so how chapter 4 starts and how it will continue for many, 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 many chapters is the accusations that God has against his people. All the things they're doing wrong essentially. They're kind of asking the question, why is God mad at us? And he's saying, well, let me tell you what's going on. So that's where we're starting, and it's kind of, it's kind of heavy, and it's kind of dark, and it kind of feels like, oh my gosh, this is, um, this is a heavy time. And, and what will follow, we will see that during this time, Hosea is declaring God's mad at you, he's going to punish you, and we will see that punishment t- come to fruition during Hosea's time. Um, they will go through six kings in the span of about 25 to 30 years. Many of these kings will have a run of about six months, and then they get assassinated. One guy's got one month and then gets assassinated. It gets really messy. And other countries, Assyria starts to sniff it out and realize they're in turmoil, and they start coming in and taking advantage of Israel. It starts getting really messy. And a lot of this is due to the reality that they have chosen um, to not put their trust in Yahweh, have not put their trust in God. And God is saying, "This, these are becoming the results of what is going on. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Uh, this all runs, just as a reference point, from about uh, 753 to about 722 range. So about 3,000 years ago. Um. What do you do when you come across passages like the passages we're about to dive into when you're reading the Bible? You're going to hear things that God's going to say. I'm going to destroy you. Where's the where's the like little little the little happy God that I that I like? What do you what do you do when you when do you come to these verses that for verse after verse after verse after verse for page after page? you see what seems to be an angry, destructive, almost violent God. What do you do? What do you do you do when you open up to pieces of Scripture like that? Because there's actually kind of a lot of them. If you've spent much time in the Old Testament, there's actually kind of a ton of them. And so what do you do with them? What most of the time I do with them is I just skip. I'm like, ah, no, nah, I'm good with that. I don't need that. Any bit of, that. Yeah, I just move on. So I want to give us a little bit of tools before we go into it. Okay? Kind of give us just a little bit of some ways of like, all right, if I'm going to crack my Bible open to parts of the Bible like this, how, how, what are some helpful things in understanding before we read it? Is that cool? Is that helpful? Okay. So the first one, is you have to understand that when we are reading things like this, you are going to see a direct relationship to depravity, human beings sinning, human beings doing evil, wicked things, and there will be actual practical consequences for sin. Right? These, we're not talking about God's punishment. We're not talking about God's wrath at this point. We're just saying, When when, when you slip up, sometimes there's consequences for those actions, right? Like, can can we all agree on that? So we're going to see a bunch of that. We're going to see Israel, these people of God, they're doing some dumb stuff, and because of it, some things happen to them that they probably wished wouldn't have happened. So sometimes you just have to read it through that lens at times. You have to ask yourself, what am I seeing here? Am I seeing God punishing, or am I really just seeing the result of sin in someone's life? Right? so That's a a first good uh, distinction there. The second thing is you have to understand, we have to understand when we are reading this, Jesus has not yet shown up onto the scene. And this is really significant. Because what you are going to see is you are going to see a God who absolutely despises wickedness, who absolutely hates sin, And because of it, he punishes. He he actually punishes. Do you know in in the New Testament it says that the wages, literally the payment for sin, is what? Death. That's that's what our sin deserves. The actual payment for it would be death. And we're going to see that. We're going to see God actually punishing sin. And you go, no, no, stop, 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 stop. No, no sin, if God is to be just, if He's to be good, he, he has to deal with sin that way. The beauty for those of us that are not in that time, we are in a full different season. Jesus has come, right? And we know that the wages of sin is death. But how does the verse continue? Does anyone know how that verse continues? Say it out loud. Louder. Louder but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God through Jesus Christ is life. 1 John says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, that payment for such sin. So if we are living in this time, this side of the cross... That punishment that sin should have dealt us, that was laid on Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Does that make sense? So we are going to see a picture of sin being punished, but we know that ultimately that sin gets paid out into a man named Jesus Christ on our behalf so that we never would have to feel the wrath of what that punishment should have been on us. Okay? Come on. Come on. The other thing you're going to see, and you have to understand this about the Old Testament. You have to understand this about the Old Testament. You are going to witness um, what God is doing in his sovereignty. Okay, So, So one of the things you have to understand is that God is preserving the line and the lineage of Jesus to make sure that one day this guy named Jesus Christ shows up on earth to do what he needs to do. So much of what you see God doing, it doesn't make sense to us. We go, man, if I, if, I, if I was in charge, I wouldn't have done it that way. There's a reason you're not in charge, okay? And he is working history and humanity and events and stories to make sure that Jesus shows up and that he can be the savior of the world, right? And so at times it looks like, man, God, why would you allow something like that to happen? Well because I, I, I got I to weave it in, right? And so what we are witnessing right now as we're going through these verses, we are witnessing the works and, and, and the process of what is already finished, right? Jesus, God, sees the full picture and things have to be ordered in such a way to make sure that we get here. So we're just watching part of the process that has already been completed. Is that making sense when I'm saying it that way? So that's another thing. Another thing you're going to see is you're going to see not a duplicit God. You're going to see a God that contains like a bunch of different attributes and they're not in conflict with each other. They are just what they are, right? So you're going to see this God of love and grace and kindness and forgiveness. And, and like two verses prior, he seemed like he was ready to just destroy everything. And you're like, ah, what is that about? He's God, we're not, he just, he's like that, okay? He's got a lot of attributes that work together and the purpose of all of them, listen to this, I want you to hear this, look at me, the purpose of all the attributes of God are to move hearts of humanity back to restoring us to what was meant to be, which is what the original garden was. All of these attributes and characteristics of God are meant to move our hearts towards Jesus, towards the Savior. And you're going to see them molding together and moving together and working together. At times, he's bringing things and it feels like it's fear. And then other times, there's love and it's like, wait, I was so sinful and yet you still loved me. Like, ah, I got to go over here. Right? Like, you're going to see these things moving together to draw hearts to himself. Cool? Does that help when we crack open verses like this? Okay. I was kind of preaching there a little bit, huh? I was, I was kind of going. I got a little excited. Got a little excited. Okay. So here we go. If you've got your Bibles, Hosea 4, and we're going to move fast. So stay with me. If you don't have a Bible, we have the beautiful Sky Bible, and it will carry you along. All right, so he starts his accusation. This is just right at the start of verse, or chapter 4. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing. There is deception. There is murder. Am I reading the right thing? Yes. There is stealing. There is adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and everyone who lives in it languishes. Don't you, uh, don't you wish the Bible was a little bit more relevant for our time? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like the very descriptors of what he is accusing this time, 3,000 years ago. You, you, you could put a lot of that into today, right? Swearing, deception, murder, stealing, adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. I feel like I see that every time I turn the news on. Do you not? Let's keep going. He kind of keeps the accusations going. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. It's one of the things that I fear most about this time is this postmodern relativism way of thinking? My truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, and can't we all just get along? Um, I believe it's it's dangerous, and I believe um, we're watching something in some ways repeat itself from this moment. Let's keep going. This is the start of five. He says, "Hear this, O priests! Give heed, O house of Israel! Listen, O." house of the king, for the judgment applies to you. Do you find sometimes that um, being in a position of authority gives people uh, what they feel like a free pass, right? Like where they feel like, yeah, 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 I I, I get it, but I'm kind of in charge, and so like kind of give me some grace, right? Uh, He's saying, look, you're priests and kings, and you, you guys aren't off the hook either. Just because the people are being adulterous and idolaters and and, and, and sinning and breaking the laws doesn't doesn't take you off the hot seat as well. Interesting. Listen to this. This is is verse 4. Their deeds will not allow them to return to their God. For a spirit of harlotry is within them and they they don't know the Lord. Moreover, the pride of Israel testifies against him. And Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. So it's a powerful statement. The, their deeds will not allow them to return to their God. And, and you know what, what that's called? It's called addiction. We're seeing, we're seeing the, the literal word of addiction, the behavior that I repeat over and over again, keeps me enslaved to the very thing that I, 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 want, I, want, I want to be here, but I, I'm stuck in the deeds of my, right? Isn't that interesting, what he's describing there? For a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they don't even know the Lord. This word know, this isn't a knowledge word. This is an experiential, heartfelt. They, they, they don't even know the relationship that they could experience with the Lord. I find that um, ever so true, unfortunately, even now. The pride of Israel is what testifies against them. An interesting statement. Their pride is the very thing (laughs) that begins to destroy them, the very thing that testifies against them. Let's keep rolling. Fourteen. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. And I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. I will carry away, and there will be none to deliver. I will go away and return to my place. Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Feels like he's abandoning him. Um... Sometimes it's important for the lost to realize they're lost before they will cry for help. Um, How many house projects have I started, Kaylee, where you were like, hey, do you want to call like a professional? And I was like, no, I got it. And then five trips to Home Depot and several weeks later, I'm on the phone with the professional saying, help. (laughs) I I can't do it. I think there's, there's some beauty in that. I do believe that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And for many, that that takes a lot of trips to Home Depot before they finally pick up the phone and say, okay, I'm in. What are we going to do? Chapter 6. Let's keep going. Come, let us then return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days and will rise us up on the third day. Wondering what that reference is. That we may live before him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. He gets their attention and they go, yeah, 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 let's let's, let's go do that. Let's, Let's go know him. He said we need to know him. Let's go be about trusting him and turning towards him and pressing in to know the Lord. And then listen, listen to these next verses, right right after it. This is God. What shall I do, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Uh, let me try to explain this, this word like a morning cloud. It's, it's this thing called fog. And... Um, <laughs> Let me try to explain it. There's like this thing called humidity. Hold on. Um, and they're like, like, that's like water in the air. Um, let me try to explain water for those of us that live here. No, the point is this. You guys know fog, right? It comes in the morning and then it's fickle and it leaves before lunchtime, right? That's what he's describing. It's like, yeah, you, you, t- you turn to me, but then you're gone the next moment. Let's keep rolling. Chapter 7, verse 10. Though the pride of Israel testifies against him, yet they have not returned to the Lord their God, nor have they sought him for all of this. So Ephraim has become like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. See these words in there? Um... Yet they have not returned to the Lord. So maybe circle the word return. And then nor have they sought. Circle that word sought in your Bible. Um, You could also turn to Mark 1.15. And these are the same words of repent and believe. Repent and believe. He's um, he's saying, look, um, what I long for you is that you would turn around and say, I need you. That's, that's what my hope, my, my longing for you would be, would be that you would say, okay, 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 yeah, I'm tur- I, I, God, I need you. And he says, but instead, what did you do? Like a silly dove, without any sense, they call to Egypt and they call to Assyria. Instead of calling on the name of the Lord and saying, uh, uh, help, they're in a time of trouble now. Right? We talked about Jeroboam no longer exists and they've got these messy kings that are not doing well and they're starting to flounder because of their own sin. And he says, I wish you would, would, would repent, which is that word turn around and believe and to seek after me. But what do you do instead? You go and you make political alliances with other countries that don't even have your best in mind, but you're, you're so desperate That you're willing to make a stand with someone that doesn't even align with your ideals, with your beliefs, with your theology of Yahweh. Man, I wish it was relevant for now. Look at me there is no political agenda, there is no political system, there is no leader, there is no government. That has the power to do what you think it has the power to do apart from a guy named Jesus Christ who we believe is Lord and Savior. He is the hope for humanity. Period. Look, this is 3,000 years ago. We're still trying to do it. We're still trying to find a system or a leader or a program or, or some type of government that would work in such a way where humanity would be at peace, where people would thrive, where hope would be restored, and we are at the same place they were 3,000 years ago. They call him king of kings and lord of lords for a reason. Let's keep rolling. Do you believe me on that, by the way? Like, you guys, that's a big deal. Like, right now, that's that's like a big deal. There is is one, one that has hope tied to his name. There is one that has promise of fullness of life tied to his name and his name is Jesus Christ, period, end of story. Any other system will fail us, and it has proven to fail us. All right, let's go, let's go. Verse 13, woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. And they do not cry from me from their hearts when they wail in their beds. It's always been about the heart for God, right? Like it's always for him been about the heart. He's, he's never designed himself to be your genie. Right? He, ne- he never wanted that to be the relationship. He always wanted your heart. He always wanted that deep relationship like that of a healthy father right? that says, come and sit on my lap and tell me your concerns and let me hold you and let me be with you and let me take care of you. It was never fix this, fix that, fix this, fix that. Right? He's saying, you're crying, but you're, you're, you're not crying out to me from your heart. It's always, for him, been about the heart. And I think the cry would be, a healthy cry might be, teach me, shape me, mold me, change me. I think oftentimes we we cry out with the change that, change them, change this, change that. And I I wonder if he's saying, just give me your heart, I I just want you. Let's keep rolling. We got a lot to cover. Stay with me. Although I trained and I strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They turn, but they do not turn upwards. Some of your versions replace that word upward with the, the word most high. You see it all the time. You're, you're confronted, maybe it's through your guilt or your own shame or whatever it is, you're confronted by your own junk. Right? And you go, okay, this time I got it. I'm going to turn away from that bad behavior. No more being a bad boy. I'm turning away and I'm going to be a good boy now. Right? And what he is saying is what I would like the turn to be is not a behavioral turn, right? But a turn upwards to someone. Right, Saying like, like, look, I'm convinced at this point that this turn of just shifting my behavior doesn't have a whole lot of power. I want my turn to be to the one who holds all the power. And um, like, the crazy thing is he goes, yeah, by the way, I've given you my spirit within you. Let's lean into that. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. Keep going. Chapter 8. Put the trumpet to your lips. Like an eagle, the enemy comes against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and they rebel against my law. They cry out to me, my God, we of Israel, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have appointed princes, but I didn't know it. With their silver and gold, they have made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. Look at what doing that on your own does. They, they don't even realize it. Look at the final words. Um, oh, I didn't turn it into white. Do you see it down there? Look at that. But they might be cut off. That they might be cut off. It's, it's such an interesting thing when I begin to set up idols, when I begin to set up authorities, when I begin to set up systems within my life that are meant to fulfill me and bring me peace and bring me hope and bring me security, when I begin to do that, in a sense what I'm doing is I'm removing myself from the protection of God. Right? I'm taking control of my circumstance, I'm c- taking control of my authorities, and in doing so, he says, it actually is like cutting me off from the protection of my God. Like, God's there, and he's loving you, and he's gracious towards you, but you can do this for a long time. And you can live in a space that will do absolute destruction to you. And, and, and look what he says prior to that, in that same verse. He says, Sound the alarm. Because of this way of living, turn the alarm up loud and tell everyone that the enemy is coming in. Right? When you start building up your own idols, when you start taking things into your own hands, what you are actually doing, and you don't even realize you're doing it sometimes, you're just trying to self-protect, what you're actually doing is creating just a really beautiful path for the enemy to come right in and do his worst. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, sound the alarm, the enemy's coming. You've chosen to self-protect. You've chosen to make other things your gods besides me, and and I, I got I got some news for you. They're coming. The evil one is stepping in. When I whenever I do a wedding, I uh, one of the verses I pray over them is this this verse in Colossians three seventeen, and it says this: Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the God the Father through Him. I like how the message says it: "Let it have its run of the house." I find that um, my hope, my prayer for, for us, for those of us that call us call ourselves followers of Christ, that that He would be that ultimate true north, that our trust, that our allegiance, that our hope, that everything would be rooted in Him. And that we would say, look, this is at the center of everything we do. Whether in word or in deed, this is the center. Period, end of story. And according to this verse just right now, that's a really huge protection. Let's keep rolling. But the Lord has taken no delight in them. Those are some harsh words. But the Lord has taken no delight in them. Now he will remember their iniquity now he will remember their iniquity and he will punish them for their sins and they will return to Egypt. These are, these are some really painful words. But the Lord has taken no delight in them. Now he will remember their iniquities and he will punish them for their sins and they will return to Egypt. This word Egypt here, um, Hosea uses this word Egypt a ton. If you're reading through on your own through the book of Hosea, we're skipping a lot of verses. He uses uh, the, the word Egypt a ton, a ton, a ton. Um, they're one of the allied cities, uh, uh, people groups that, that, that these, the Israelites are, are Um, aligning with but when he talks about it this way and he'll do it about five or six times when he uses this word Egypt he's talking about slavery he's talking about going back into slavery like they once were and and it's interesting what he's describing here is a slavery to sin right becoming in bondage to our own idolatry and unfaithfulness in sin Do you know another verse that sounds similar to this verse? But it's the absolute opposite. This this is how incredible Jesus Christ is that he came and did what he did. Listen to this. This is the true result of what sin should do. Now I will remember their iniquities and I will punish them for their sins. Listen to this verse. This is Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Come on. Like, that's what Jesus Christ did when he showed up. He took the punishment and the remembrance of the sins of God that would and should have brought the wrath of God on us to punish us. And he says, look, because of Jesus being the advocate, because of him being the propitiation and the payment, now I will have mercy on you, even in the midst of your junk, and I will remember that junk no more. Like, that is a big deal, my friends. All right, you ready for more? Let's go. Chapter 9, he just says, Do not rejoice, O Israel, with with exaltation like the nations, for you have played the harlot forsaking your God. Do Do you find sometimes, do you find sometimes that there's like this, excitement and celebration that comes with doing something you know is wrong, right? Like, you see it. You see it lived out even in society right now. It's like, I know I am violating my integrity and my morality and everything that is good, and let's just party about it, right? And God's saying, can you just stop? Like, you're sinning against the God of humanity, the God of the universe. Just stop, stop. Stop your rejoicing for that. It's not something to be excited about. It's just what he's saying to them. Chapter 10. We're getting close, my friends. We are getting close. Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made. The richer his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. Their heart is faithless. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. Surely now they will say, We have no king, for we do not revere the Lord. As for the king, what can he do for us? How often um, does God get blamed when it was our greed that caused the downfall to begin with? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like we, we put a lot on God. Hear, I hear a lot of people say, I can't trust God because a good God would never let this thing happen. Well, what if the greed of humanity was what caused that to happen? And God, well, let's, let's see what God does. Let's keep going. 12. Sow with a view of righteousness. Recap in accordance with kindness. Oh, sorry. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in what way? You've trusted in your way. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Hosea didn't even know what he was talking about. Who's he? Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that he might rain righteousness onto those who have put their trust in him. You've plowed wickedness, you've reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies. Why? Why? Why did all that happen? Because you've trusted in your way. And he is saying, take my yoke upon me, take it upon you, and follow my way. My way is a little different than your way, but it's the way of health, and it's the way of hope, and it's the way of peace, and it's the way of life. And um, you've trusted your way. It's time to take my yoke upon you. All right, we've been waiting for these verses. Chapter 11, here we go. When, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called him my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. they kept sacrificing to Baals and burning incense. The Yet, it is I, it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love, and I became to them as the one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down and I fed them. I wonder if someday when we're in heaven, if we'll get the privilege to get to look back on our lives and see that it was him the whole way. Like, the whole way most of the time it's i find that a lot of the way a lot of the journey we're 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 blaming god for for all the things bad that have happened and what if what if someday we get to picture in heaven i don't know maybe sitting with him I, i don't know how it all would work but that he would get to say look every step of the way i was there that was me remember when that happened that was me holding you up in that moment that was me caring for you in that way. That was me feeding you. You didn't understand with that job and with this situation and with that marriage and with that child the way that it was. And, but listen, it was me every single step of the way. I've loved you from the moment I met you, and I've continued to love you every step of the way. I wonder if we'll get to see that someday, what a gift that would be. And then he says, verse 8, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? And then he continues, he says, My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am a God and I am not man. The Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with wrath. My friends, you... you uh, You have put your trust in a God who who greatly despises wickedness and intends to punish it and destroy it for good. And he found a way through Jesus Christ, but you also serve a God that in the midst of your wickedness says, I will not abandon you and I will remain faithful to you and I will find a way to prevent the wrath of God from destroying you. That's your God. He comes with both of those. He brings both of those to the dance so that, so that what? That he could win your heart, right? Remember what it says in Romans 5? The law came in so that sin would increase, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. You have this God who calls your sin what it is. He says it's wickedness, it's evil, it's dark, And I want you to know that I have forgiven you of it as far as the east is to the west because I love you that much and I'm committed to you that much and I have made a covenant with you that I will not break. Is that unbelievable? Is that so unbelievably awesome? So what does this do? You read these verses and, and I'm finishing up. I know, I know, I'm sorry. Here we go. So what does this do in you? For me, one, is it draws my heart to my Savior. The second thing it does, though, when I read these verses, when I read the depravity of humanity and what the consequence for such depravity is, do you know what it does? It makes me want to go tell the world about this Jesus that saves. It just does. Guys, what we witnessed through these books is what the majority population will experience for eternity. Separation from the Father, punishment for sin, and the wrath of God present on the daily. But there, is, there is much of humanity right now. That population will be in pain. Like for the, the rest of time. And um, you and I, we, we, have, we have the answer. We have the gift. We have the hope. We have Jesus. And so, I don't know if it does that in you, but it does that in me. And the final thing it does in me is it moves me in a place of realizing what it was that Jesus actually did, what he sacrificed, what he had to take on on that cross, the wrath of God that was supposed to be mine that he took on. And so when I take communion, we do it every Sunday, we take this communion in remembrance of the reality that Jesus Christ bore our sins, that we were healed by his wounds because he loves us, because he wanted to get us home, because he did not want our sin to define us, but he wanted us to be defined by his love. And so he brought us home. So let me pray for communion I went long, I'm sorry, but let me pray for communion. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll go into some time of worship. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you did. Jesus, I love you so much. I don't know. I don't know where I'd be without you. Lord, again, just today standing here, I I commit my life to you again, Lord. I I want my days to be centered around you, Lord. And I want my life to reflect the reality that your spirit indwells me and that your love flows out of me in a way that I I can't even comprehend, Lord. I, I need you. I need you, Lord. And we thank you for your gift. In Jesus' name, amen.